<laughs> hey, everybody. Hey, raise your hand if you were here two weeks ago when Jeff was announced lead pastor. How great was that, huh? That was so, so fun. And uh, the thrill that he has invited me to partner with him and walk with him as a mentor in whatever capacity that means, I am, I am thrilled to do that as well. And as they were making the junior high announcement, I thought to myself, I knew him when he was in junior high. He is the reason that some of you need to be involved in junior high ministry. Because there is a squirrely Jeff McGuire that is going to grow up in this environment and make a difference in the world. And you don't have to be cool to be a youth worker. <laughs> uh, you, just, you just have to like kids. Okay? If you hate kids, don't. But if you like kids, we'd love to have you a part of that. And I'd love to blow Hillary away with so many people going, yeah, that's what I want to do. I always tell people, if you want to be in God's will, you need to serve. If you want to be in the center of God's will, you need to do youth ministry, okay? If you want to be in the very, very center, you need to do junior high, because very few people love junior high kids. So uh, anyway, that's where I want to get you going there. And two weeks from today is Easter Sunday. This place is going to be packed out because you are inviting your friends, because you know that there's two times during the year that people will come to church, Christmas and Easter. And everybody wants to be invited somewhere, okay? I have been praying this morning that some of you that have Laker tickets tonight, that you would invite me. I mean, everybody wants to be, I couldn't go, but I, you know, I, I want to be invited. And so we want to encourage you, who, is, who are you inviting to hear about the good news of the death and resurrection of our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ on Easter. That is the time we celebrate. That's open house. So be thinking about who you're inviting. In your bulletin, we put a little um, postcard. And it actually, there's kind of a peep theme going on here because we're doing a peep roast after the Easter service on Saturday night because we can't do an Easter egg hunt. Uh, technically, law, something about Mission Viejo and the streets and death. I'm not exactly sure how it works, but we can't do an Easter egg hunt, so we're going to do a peep roast that is a little one-year tradition that this community has. So invite people that have kids to uh, Saturday night service, and then uh, just be, be thinking and praying because this is a big time in, in the life of our church, especially with a new lead pastor and new enthusiasm and people going, so that's it. All right. Um, I want to do test your cultural IQ. Just shout out who this, this person is on the screen. Right here. This person. Okay. Donald Trump. This is Oprah. This is Bill Gates. And this is... Did I hear it? The OJs. Okay. The OJs. Now you're saying, Doug, what is going on here? What are, you, what, are you, what are you doing? Well, you've got three people at the top who are known for their money and the OJs who sing about money. Q, it'll work at the le- That's the OJs right there. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab your outline because we're talking about money today. And as you grab your outline, just groan. Okay, please, just groan. I know, I know. Imagine how I feel. I know that nobody, including myself, wants to talk about money. 
Jeff has been doing this series called Fearlessly, Fearless Generosity, and he's done an incredible job helping us understand that generosity is not about money. Generosity is about our heart. But friends, we cannot talk about being generous people without understanding that there is a slice of generosity that involves our, our finances. And we just, we have to talk about it. I'm, I'm fully aware that everyone is afraid of this message. My wife was like, you're teaching? I'm like, oh, God, I don't want to go to church this week. And, and uh, inside the church, outside of the church, people fear money. The top five fears that Americans have, do you know what they are? Uh, number five is death. Four is money. Or financial issues. Third is insects. Second is fear of heights. Number one fear. Who knows what the number one fear of Americans is? Public speaking. Okay. So now imagine how I feel. (laughs) Speaking about money on a very high stage that's insect infected. All right. So instead of feeling sorry for yourself, begin to pray for me. People would rather, you know, die than give a eulogy, and I'm kind of feeling that. Now, actually, I I don't mind talking about money, especially to Christians. My my concern, my fear this week, is for those of you who are visiting. I'm really, really sorry. I mean, you could have picked 50 weekends out of the year to come. We wouldn't have talked about money, but you picked this weekend. So if you are visiting, um, if you're investigating Jesus, if you're trying to figure out what faith looks like for you. You have this weekend off, but chances are somebody invited you, and now you're going to know what Christians are taught and believe. So now you can hold them accountable and be them being generous in their finances, and when you go to breakfast afterwards, they should pay. All right? So, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to go after um, some, some common statements that I have heard over the years working in the church for 30 years. These are common statements that come up when, when we talk about money. And, and Jeff gave a great introduction of what money is when he talked about our offering and why we give our offering. You know, I'm, I'm basically talking to people who understand the, the, and know that giving is an act of faith. It's a faith response to all that God is and all that he, he has given us. But the first statement I hear people say is this, I, I want to give, but, but I just can't. I, I want to give, but I just can't. I mean, give me Doug, you know, we live in Orange County. It's expensive to live here. I mean, there's a recession going on. And do you know where Mariner's Mission Viejo is located? It's less than three miles from Ladera Ranch, which was turned totally upside down a couple years ago. Uh, half of the mortgages in Ladera Ranch went underwater. I mean, don't you know who your, your crowd is? I mean, we want to give, but, but we just can't. I mean, we can give in time. I mean, we can help with junior high ministry, of course. Uh, you know, we can give, and we can be hospitable, like Jeff talked about last week, but there is no money, money, money to give, okay? So, you know, I, I want to give, but I just can't. Here's my response. I don't think most people want to give. I mean, it's a nice statement to say, I just, but I don't think most people want to give. I didn't. When I first learned about giving as a follower of Jesus, I'd rather be punched in the throat than give. Yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't want to give. Here's my worldview when I was a baby Christian. My worldview was, if God wants my money, he ought to make me rich. Okay, I mean, if he makes me rich, then he gets my money. Now, how many of you would like that one? You're like, yeah, okay, if he wants, well, <laughs> here's the deal. You are rich. 
I'm rich. That 80% of all humanity lives on less than $10 a day. 50% of all humanity lives on less than $2.50 a day. The fact that you had clean underwear today means you're rich. The fact that you drove here today means that you're rich. The fact that you'll have three meals today means that you're rich. In the United States, we spend $8 billion a year on cosmetics. Just on cosmetics alone. If we gave $6 billion, $6 billion would solve the basic education problems in all developing countries. We're rich. It's not just us. Europeans are rich. They spend $11 billion on ice cream. Europeans do. All right? I mean, so, you know, cosmetics, ice cream, I, I don't know. Uh, it kind of feels like Americans spend a lot of money on ice cream as well. But $9 billion, you know what $9 billion would do? $9 billion would solve the basic water and sanitation problems in all the developing countries. So here's my point. We're rich. Okay? You may not be rich compared to your neighbor and what they drive and where they live and what their bank account is. But in terms of this global picture of being one of $6 billion, you are richer than 95% of the world. So you got to take this I'm not rich excuse off your list. Here's what God wants from all of us anyway. Whether we are rich or poor, he wants 100% of our heart. 100% of our heart. He wants our full attention, our full devotion, our full passion. Following Jesus is not about your money. It's about your heart. And some of you are thinking, oh, well, good. It's about my heart because <laughs> I want to give. But, I, you know, I just, I just can't. So I just give them 100% of my heart. <laughs> well, not so fast, Spanky, because here's the deal. For most of us, we, we can't give Jesus 100% of our heart because there's a percentage of our heart that is focusing and thinking about money. We can't give 100% when there's a high percentage that is, that is money-based. Hey, Jesus said it like this. He was talking to religious people. And he said in Luke chapter 16, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one or love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, notice this, they loved money. Heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. And he, Jesus, said to them, you're the ones who justify yourself in the eyes of others, but God knows your heart. Okay? God knows your heart. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. See, Jesus doesn't leave room for compromise here. It's either one or the other. You love God or you love money. You can't love them both. And the Pharisees were ticked off at that because they wanted to love both. That word sneering, in, in the Greek, it actually, it's only used two times in the Bible. It means this, to turn up one's nose. That's what sneering. So you can almost see these Pharisees doing this. Just turn it, I mean, actually some of the way you are sitting right now, uh, is turning up one's nose. There, you can see their disgust for this radical teaching that Jesus is blowing them away by saying, no, you can't love God and money. And then Jesus says, what you people value is detestable in God's sight. That word detestable, 
it actually means to feel nauseous. It's actually a general word for disgust. When that word is used in the Old Testament, it's connected to idols. You move to the New Testament, it's more connected to morality. So Jesus is saying what you value, it's not just, it's not just physically disgusting, it's morally disgusting as well. Hey, religious leaders, you, you've got it wrong. And what you're doing is nauseating to God. Now, this was not new to Pharisees. This was not new to religious leaders at the time. They knew the Old Testament. They knew the Ten Commandments. They knew the very first of the Ten Commandments was what? You shall have no other gods before me. This number one commandment of God is, I, hey, I don't want anything to rival, to anything to interfere in our relationship between me and, and you. Now, there's a lot of defensiveness in the room. Okay? There just is. I know it. Okay? I feel defensive, and I'm given the message. All right? Uh, here, here's the deal, because we don't... Let's just pause and try not to be defensive, because, but just to say, it's, we elevate the importance of money. I will admit it. I do. I do. It's really difficult for me. It, I used to have a job. Um, you remember? Does anybody remember when direct deposits first came out? This idea of direct deposit, like that is such a cool invention. That I worked at a church for 20 years that had a direct deposit. And I can remember when I first got that direct deposit, I would go into the bank and I didn't have to take checks in anymore. It was already there. It was like magic. There's money in my account. Well, I left that direct deposit world a few years ago. And now I have to make my own deposits. I don't have an employer directing the deposit. I am in charge of that in my life, in my, in my speaking or my teaching or my royalties or whatever it is. I'm, I don't have an employer just, whoosh, okay, it's me. So all that to say, I think about money. I think whether I'm going to have enough to pay the bills. I, I, I get it. So here's what I'm doing. I'm just admitting with you. Wait, well, let's do this. Would anybody be courageous enough to join me to say, okay, Doug, I'll be honest. I think about money I think about money a lot. Just put your hand up. Put your hand up. Stay, keep it up. Look around. Look around. I want you to see that you're not alone. All right? There's a lot of us in here that are going, because sometimes when there's like this part of your heart where you go, I don't know, that's kind of a dark part of my heart, and you think you're the only one, and then you look around, and you go, oh, there's a lot of pagans in here. Uh, you know, this is good. Now, but why? Why is it that we think about money a lot? Why? Here's why. Because money gives an illusion of security and peace and freedom. And who doesn't want that? Security and peace and freedom. But the key word is, it's an illusion. All the money in the world won't buy that. Steve Jobs is a billionaire. And he died a horrible death. All that money couldn't, couldn't buy him that security and that freedom and that peace. Money doesn't buy us what we really, really want, which if you and I were to sit knee to knee and eye to eye and just share a meal or something like that, and I would talk about, what do you really want? You'd open up your heart and I'd open up mine. You know what we'd find? Joy. I want joy. I, I don't want just happiness. I want something deeper than that in life. I want something that, that things and stuff can't buy. I want that intrinsic joy. Money can't buy that. And Growing up in Orange County, when we started having kids, I went, I want my kids to see this, that you're going to grow up in Orange County, but you can't buy joy. 
And so we began to take them around the world on mission trips and things like that. And we exposed our kids to, to poverty, you know, local poverty, global poverty. My kids were in Africa by the time they were in high school doing all kinds of stuff. So my son goes away to college. He's playing football in college. At the end of the first semester, he texts me and Kathy. And he says, Mom and Dad, I feel God calling me to Africa. I want to drop out of school and go serve the poor. Before you shut me down, please pray about it. Okay, tell me that's not a pastor's kid's response, all right? <laughs> I know you're going to say no, Mom and Dad, but you ought to pray about it, okay? So here's the deal. I didn't want him to quit football. I didn't want him to drop out of college. But you're teaching your kid to follow Jesus their whole life, and then when they want to, you're Sorry, son, I was just, you know, no, no. Okay, so, you know, long story short, he drops out of college. He goes to Africa for seven months, learns their language, works with the poorest of poor. Orphans, street kids, families that have nothing. You know what he found out? Money doesn't buy joy. People, you know, Jesus creates joy. Okay? Look at the smiles that he uh, ran into every single day. My son is the white one. Uh, right. yeah. Now he actually came back and he's driven to be, go in the medical field. So he can be a missionary doctor. And he's actually serving kids and pulling ticks out of their feet. And, and a lot of people see this picture and think that's a cigarette. It's not a cigarette. Okay. It's a, it's a joint. Uh, uh, no, just What's my point? Here's my point. The, the increase of money, it's not the increase of money that leads to security and peace and freedom. It's not the increase of money. It's the invasion of Jesus. And when Jesus invades your life, then all of a sudden, there's this peace, there's this security, there's this freedom that money can't buy. And there's a lot of us in here that would say, oh, Doug, man, I love Jesus. I mean, I come to church and I, I worship Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. When people say, are you a follower of Jesus? I'm, I, I am. Yeah, I, I'm a follower of Jesus. I read the Bible. I want to follow it. I go to root it. I, I, I. But when it comes to their money, I want to follow Jesus in all the areas. But I, I kind of like to keep my money to myself. Okay? And we, we tend to elevate money and we... We idolize money and we keep money on top. And in, in a, as opposed to following God's standard for money, here's what most of us do. We follow the world's habits for money. And I put this in your notes. It's up on the screen also. And here are the five, essentially the five habits. There are subcategories of this, but this is typically what Americans do. We, we spend. We're very good at spending. Then we repay debt. Actually, Americans spend typically 1% more than they make. So that means we're always going to have debt. Then we've got to pay taxes. Then if there's any left over, we'll save it or invest it. And then ultimately, if really, we'll, we'll give something to God and others. This is how most people manage their, their money. So if I don't spend it all or owe it all or pay it all, then I'll, I'll throw God a bone here or there. Now, what you actually could do if you got a pen, you could just write next to number one, you could write me. Number two, me. Number three, America. Number four, me. Number five, God. 
That's pretty much what it is. Me, 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 America, me, God. And God is at the very, very bottom. Now, here's where this gets humorous. And when I say humorous, I mean totally insane. Is that when I put God at the very bottom of my finances, and then all of a sudden, I get into some type of financial trouble, I put him last, but when I get into trouble, where's the first place I go? God, exactly. You know, God, oh, my Eugene, help me get my daughter get a scholarship to college because this is weird. It's killing me. You know, my house is upside down. You know, I need a raise. I need a better job. God, would you please solve my financial problems? Now, I don't want to presume that I know how God thinks, but I've got to imagine God's going, really? Really? I mean, you're going to shut me out of all the financial areas of your life, but when you're in trouble, you want me, you want me back in? Really? I mean, it's a good thing I'm not God. Really, it is, and I'm just too snarky for God. I mean, I, I just, but it'd be like a kid yelling. If you're a parent, your kid yells at you. Never do anything. You, you never. You're the worst parent. Can I borrow twenty bucks? Okay, you know that's kind of what it what it feels like here. Okay, so you know I want to give, but I just can't. That's a big statement that a lot of us in here make. Now there's a what I would call a sister statement, and the sister statement it's not an identical sister twin statement, but it, it's a statement that fuels this first one. And it's what I call the if only statement. If only is the phrase we use in this never-ending search for, for the it. If, if only I made that amount. If only I, I had this much in savings. If, if only. My first recollection, if, if only, and this is what I would call this never-ending quest for the it, uh, was when I was a little boy in my neighborhood, um, some of you young people have a hard time understanding this, but um, us old people, what we used to do, we used to ride bikes and play outside. I know, it's so weird. It is so weird. But, you know, every kid in my neighborhood had a bicycle, okay? How many of you had Schwinn's growing up? Let me see. Yeah, rich kids, okay, rich kids. Most everybody, every boy on my block had a Schwinn except for me. I had a Huffy. That's exactly right. And if you don't know, Huffy was the Kmart brand blue light special, okay? My parents didn't buy, they, everything was a discount brand for me. My buddies had the Spalding indoor-outdoor leather basketball. I had a, a ball that my mom bought at Vons, and I think she painted it brown, okay? And, and that was my, my basketball. Every kid in my neighborhood wore Levi's. My parents wouldn't buy Levi's. They shopped at Sears, so I had huskies okay i had huskies yeah okay it's all these discount brands that start with h you know huffies and, and huskies uh, huffies and you know it's h for humiliation and you know all i needed was a three-legged dog named happy and i'd have been you know a total geek so i, I you know everybody's riding the schwinn and i've got the the huffy and i kept thinking if only if only i had a schwinn <laughs> then i would be cool schwinn with levi's would be awesome Okay. And I, I saved enough or wore my parents down, I don't remember, but I got a, a Schwinn cherry apple red, okay, Cher no, candy apple red, candy apple red, uh, Schwinn three-speed, three-speed, 
all right? Shifted the whole bit. I rode that bike around my neighborhood like I was the CEO of Schwinn, and they just bequeathed it to me. I mean, I, I rode that thing. I didn't put cards in the spokes because that was childish. I mean, I just, I, I own that Schwinn, and I rode that Schwinn, and I love that Schwinn, and I, I showed off that Schwinn. And then I, I did kind of as, it, it took, you know, months, maybe even a, a year or so. I conducted a little existential analysis of my life, and I determined that I would actually feel better if only I had a 10-speed. Okay? And that's where I remember just that if only. And then when I got, and if only I had that car, and if only I had that. And that's where I go back to that early memory of only. And friends, it doesn't just stop at a bike. It travels with us. If only I had that job. If only I had that corner office. If only I had that salary. If only I could live in that neighborhood. If only I could afford that vacation. If only I could shop there. That's why it says in Ecclesiastes 5, this great wisdom, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. It's always, always having more. And it's not money that is bad. Money in and of itself is not evil. It's the love of money. It's the thought affairs that we have with money. It's the value that we place money higher than Jesus. 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. That the love of money keeps us from growing spiritually. The love of money keeps us quenched spiritually. And there's usually a point in someone's life, if they're really honest, where they, they look inside and they go, you know what, there's, there's got to be more. Really, I mean, I've, I've got the toys, I've got the stuff. There's got to be more to life than just this. What, it, what does God say? You know, what, what, what's, what's Jesus have to say about money? Well, a lot, because <laughs> Jesus taught more about money than anything other than the kingdom of God. When it comes to this idea of if only, here's what he says, Matthew 6. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, read the rest with me. There your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there's your heart. That's what Jesus is saying. Interesting, the word moth in the Greek is nordostrom, where we get Nordstrom's from. Okay? No, no, just kidding. I just made that up. Okay. Uh, but what Jesus is saying, now that was a total lie. Some of you are like writing that down. No, I just made that up. Okay. You, your soul was made for eternity. But your stuff wasn't. Okay? Nobody's going to go in heaven and go, oh, hey, <laughs> that pile of rust. Tell me about it. Oh, it was a Lexus pile of rust. Oh, okay. Well, I've got my Mercedes Model 300 series rust over here. No, that, that's not going to happen. Jesus says if you're building your life around stuff, you're building it on the wrong foundation. Okay? You, you, you're trying to own more stuff, but that stuff is... That stuff is just owning you. If you want real life, don't store up treasures here on earth. If you re- want real life, store up treasures in heaven. How? 
by giving stuff away now. That's the general, big picture, New Testament, Jesus-following principle. Give, give, give. Be generous, give. Okay, that's, that's New Testament. You go to the Old Testament, what does the Old Testament have to say? Well, a lot. The last book in the Old Testament is a book called Malachi, um, <laughs> which before I went to seminary, I used to call it Malachi. I, I always did. I actually taught the Bible a lot when I was younger before a seminary and said, okay, turn to Malachi. And, you know, like the Italian prophet. Let's see, see what he has to say. Uh, but in, in uh, Malachi, there is a, uh, there's a lot. The context here is, is discussing ways that, that we break covenant with, with God. And there's stuff here on, on blemish sacrifices and injustice and uh, blasphemy. But in chapter 3, it talks about withholding tithes. And starting at verse 6. Uh, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Watch this. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord God Almighty. Here, we're beginning to see this issue, friends, of, of priority. Return to me, and I will return to you. There's kind of this cause-effect principle where God's saying, I want to move in your direction... But I'm waiting for you to move in my direction. Verse 8. Will a, uh, but you ask, will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? Well, in tithes and offerings. That we're robbing God. You've been given, you, you've been given but not the way that I've invited you to give. The word tithe actually is, means a tenth. So people would bring their tithe to the temple to support the, the temple personnel and the helpless members of society. Offerings were above and beyond. Offerings were, were portions from all the, all the sacrifices that you had. And what he's saying is, you'd be, you're bringing lamb offerings that you wouldn't even eat at home. You're bringing worthless offerings. You're bringing total leftovers. Verse 9. You're under curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. If you have your Bible, underline those words. Test me in this. Interesting. Says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. That's awesome. I mean, here's the biggie. When... When God's people are not faithful in their giving, they not only rob God, but they rob themselves. They rob themselves of God's blessing. God says, both Old Testament, Jesus, New Testament, prioritize my kingdom and, and see what happens. This test me is the only place in the whole scripture where God says, test me. It's like, I dare you. Put me to the test in your finances. I, 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 double, dog, I, I sh double sheep dare you, probably, uh, in that vernacular. I, I, put me in first in all areas of your life. Again, it's not about the money. It's about the priority. And here's why I want you to get this. I talk to so many people. I, Christians. People would say, yeah, Doug, I'm a follower of Jesus. And here's what they want. They want God's blessing in their life. 
They do. They say, I want, I mean, I want God's favor. I want God's blessing. But they don't want to live by God's ways. They don't want to live by God's standards. They want all of God's favor, all of God's generosity, all of God's love, but they don't want to live by God's way. It's just, it's foolish. And scripture is, is so clear, both Old Testament and New Testament, about giving. Okay. So then there's another statement that appears in most people's lives, and it's this. Well, what if? <laughs> okay, okay, I get, what, I get where you're going with the giving thing, but, but what, I mean, what if? What, what if there's something that's unexpected? I mean, what if there's a tragedy or my car needs work or, uh, you know, I lose a job or get hurt or uh, invested my savings in Facebook at the opening price and, you know, it, you know what, this what if, here's what what if is. What if is a total fear statement. It's a fear statement. It's a fear in God's promises. What if God isn't who he says he is? What if he won't open up the store, what if he won't open up the floodgates and, and bless me? What if? Well, imagine the farmer who wants to reap a great harvest but doesn't want to plant seeds. What would you say to that farmer? Yo, Hickory Farms, okay, you know, drop, drop some seed. Okay, how do, you, how do you expect a harvest in your life if you're not willing to, to plant some seed? See, fear has always been an enemy of a growing Christian. Fear is always an enemy of a growing Christian. Jesus knew this. Matthew 6, he says, Don't worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows what you need. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. There it is again. It's this issue of priority. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. What if is a fear statement. Now, friends, what if we did this? What if we took this what if fear that really grips many of us, and we flipped it upside down? And instead of being a fear statement, it becomes a what statement? Yeah, a faith statement. Wait. What if God is who he says he is? What if God really does love me? What if God does have a preferred future for my life? What if God does really want the best for me? What if God really wants 100% of my heart and is going to bless my obedience? What if? And it, it, it changes everything. It changes everything to the next statement is this. I will. I will test God. I will, I will give, not because it's easy, but because I want to be obedient and I want to express my faith. I run into a lot of people who, they want deep stuff. I hear this all over the place. You know, I want to, I want to go to a church that's deep. I want, I want really deep teaching. I want more Greek words, and I want, more, uh, I want more content, and I want another Bible study. Oh, friends, you don't need deeper teaching and more Greek words and another Bible study and more content and information. Here's what you need. You need to be obedient to what you already know. That's deep. 
Okay? You know what deep is? Deep is obey me. That's deep. So we get all these people running around who are Christians saying, I want deep, I want deep, I want deep. But they're not obeying what God has already laid out before them. They're not obeying what they, they know. So you get to your point in your life where you're going, okay, I will. I'm going to stop, just open up frontal lobe and disseminate information. I got so much up here that I don't do anything with my life. So I come to a community and I just sit and I just soak and I just sour and I just criticize and I point fingers. No, get engaged. Faith is not to be sat on. Get in the game. Give. Be generous. Be generous with your life. Be generous with your hospitality. Be generous with your finances. That's what faith is. I'm going to live the way God instructed me to live. All right? So let's get practical. Okay? A couple things I put in your notes just to move to a place of, okay, what do I do with this? First, I encourage people to design a plan. And I'm not going to stand up here and give you a financial plan. Okay, I, I'm not. I, there's not one that's going to work for everybody because we all do our money differently. Okay, people spend and manage differently. There are cash people here and there are credit people here. There are people here who have stockbrokers and there are people here who can lose money on their own. Okay, there are, uh, <laughs> there are people here who uh, balance a checkbook every single week to the penny. You know who you are. Okay? And there are people here who never balance a checkbook and every two years just change banks. Okay, you, okay so uh, here's the point. I, I can't give you a plan, but here's what I want to say to you. Is, I know this to be true about people. No one just drifts into generosity. Doesn't happen. No one just drifts into this, this generosity and this feeling of peace in their finances. They come up with a plan. You know, it was interesting last night after church talking to people. I had people who have been, who are givers. Because people who are givers, they, they don't fear this message at all. They're like, oh, you, you weren't hard enough. Okay? You know, people who are givers, people who are givers that have walked up to the well and given, no real givers don't regret that. They don't, oh, I wish I would just take a step backwards. You know, that's not, but the, they, they, they've all told me. I said, was that right about the plan? I go, yeah, you've got to have a plan. So here's what I suggest. I suggest what I just stole from Christian financial advisors based on a study of God's word. Here's what most wise Christian financial stewards will say is you live off 80%. The first 10% you give to God. God, you get it first. Okay? Second 10% you save. And you live your life off 80%. Now there are people who can help you to do that. Go to the information or welcome center. We've got classes and things like that. People will be happy to help you. But my point is this. You've got to design a plan. Second thing I want to challenge you to do is give to discomfort. Give to discomfort. For some of you, giving any amount is an act of faith, and you are uncomfortable. Great. Okay, then this, you're, already, you're already there. Your 1% is killing you, I know. I, I, and the reason I, I'm, not, I'm saying I know, because remember I said I wanted to be punched in the throat rather than give. I didn't want to give. But here's spiritual growth. Jesus changes our want-tos. Say, I didn't want to give. And over years, this is what sanctification is. It's the process of becoming more like Jesus. He changes our want-tos. You give to a place of discomfort. And I know there are many people in here, you're already, you're giving. You're giving, you're giving 10%, but here's what I want to say to you. It's become safe to you. It's become safe. And so really, your giving is no longer an act of faith. It's a commitment to a plan. And so I want to challenge you to give to the place where it feels uncomfortable. I didn't say stupid. 
just uh, uncomfortable. That place that has a little bit of an ouch to it. In my life, because my income comes in through different sources, from speaking and writing and teaching, different things like that, I don't have an a income that we know the exact amount every month. Sometimes I speak more than other times, so our, our life is a little bit different. So we tithe on what we think is going to come in, and then we give an offering, which is above and beyond, on, on other stuff. So money will come in, and I say, y'all say to Kathy, what do you want to give off of this? I'm thinking of an amount, she thinks of, of an amount, and I hate to admit this to you, her amount is always more than mine. Okay, and it just bugs me, and I shouldn't even ask her. I should just say, well, okay, what do you want to give? Because then I feel like a spiritual weakling. But, you know, there is, that, there is that piece of ouch to it. So if you're a regular giver, let me just give you a diagnostic question. Okay, it's a simple heart diagnostic question is, am I giving more this year than, than last year? Now, assuming your income hasn't changed, am I giving, am I basically this, am I a more generous person than I was a year ago. Because the world and culture will tell you to increase your standard of living. And Jesus challenges us to increase our standard of, of giving. Okay? So give to discomfort. And finally, and this is where I just, I want to land and I, I want you to get this. If you don't get anything, get this. Is to, to celebrate true worth. Do you know what you are worth? And I don't mean what you're worth financially. I mean, do you know what you're worth as a human being? And to celebrate that. A few months back, I asked a neighbor who's in real estate, I said, hey, what, what do you think my house is worth? Here's what he said. Your house is worth whatever anybody's willing to pay for it. And I thought, ooh, that's good, because that'll preach. Okay? Because... <laughs> You are worth exactly what somebody was willing to pay for you. Okay. And the Bible says you were purchased with a price. Look up on the screen. Look at this verse, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited. The ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. He paid for you with the precious lifeblood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. That is so good. Folks, hang on to that. On Friday, I was right up the street in the Ladera Ranch at Corky's. Has anybody ever eaten at Corky's? Okay. Have you ever had that Cobb salad? I mean, you could bathe in that thing. It is so big. You burn more calories eating it than actually in the salad. And I'm at Corky's by myself. I've got my headphones on. I'm in my own little coma world working on this, this message. And I read this verse, and it just hit me. I don't know if it was pre-Easter, if it's the Jeff thing happening here with the church and just all the stuff that I envisioned seeing going on in this community. And I just began to think about people understanding, maybe some for the first time, that your life was bought with a price, and my life was bought with a price, and I just began to cry. And this is not, you know, I've got some dear friends. They know me. I, I don't sit in restaurants and cry. Okay, I, I just, I, and it wasn't, it wasn't like moist eye when you watch a McDonald's commercial. And go, oh, that was sweet. It was like, it started that way. And then I just began, and then, and then it got to like, <laughs> you know, that, that total ugly cry that is, and I couldn't contain it. So I've got my Cobb salad, my iPad where I'm reading my Bible. And, <laughs> and I'm just, I'm in the corner just trying not to be seen. And, and I maybe think people thought I was watching a chick flick on my iPad or something. But it just, it just hit me. 
we weren't bought with precious commodities of gold and silver. We were bought with blood. The blood of Jesus on the cross that paid for the forgiveness of my sins. So I don't have to live this worthless, meaningless life. That I can now align myself with the person, the teaching of Jesus and be totally different. And live the life that he dreamt me to live. Would you look at that verse? Put it up on the screen one more time. He paid for you, read the rest with me, with the precious lifeblood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. You know how much you're worth? You're worth the life, the blood, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. You are worth a lot. And some of you, you're wasting your time trying to buy worth, trying to navigate your life to become a person of worth. To show your neighborhood how much you're worth. To go in the marketplace and, and, and find your worth so that someday you'll be, a, you'll be a somebody. So you'll be perceived to be a person uh, of worth. And you're making this mad scramble with your life and your marriage and your kids. And you already have worth. Sooner or later, I think you come to realize what's taught in Ecclesiastes. Enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Just dreaming about nice things is meaningless. It's like chasing the wind. Friends, you can spend your whole life chasing the wind. You can try to manufacture your own blessing. Our world is actually set up for you to chase the wind. For have an Amazon wish list. And to all these things that you can rack up, that you can dream about getting someday. You can chase the wind and try to manufacture your own blessings. Or you can lean in to what Jesus has already invested in you and respond with a generous life. God wants you and me to live a life of worth. A blessed life. A better life than, than you can ever imagine. So... Put him to the test because generous living leads to blessed living. Generous giving leads to blessed living. Let's pray together. Jesus, you want our hearts. And for many of us in here, we have kept back a piece of our heart from you. And I pray that today would be a different day for us. That through the power of your spirit that, that we might be different as we leave here. And I want to ask everybody who's here, as we move into a time of, of singing, I'll just ask a question of your heart. What role does money play in your heart? And Talk to Jesus about what needs to happen in, in your heart to get to that place of you saying, I will. I will. Jesus, do your work in us. We pray in the name of Jesus.